What does motion sound like? With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, it sounds a little something like this. Experience the magic of motion. Get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com slash socks. Welcome to Baldhead Bible Podcast, making the Bible come to life, featuring the exposit story preaching of Dr. John Katzian. Baldhead Bible Podcast is committed to keeping our show free to the public. However, as with everything, there are expenses involved, so if you would like to contribute, head on over to patreon.com, that's patreon.com forward slash baldhead bible, and there you can become a supporting member for as low as $1 a month. While there, please check out some of the bonus material available only to our BHBP supporters. And some of that material includes Bible study guides to help you use the podcast to minister to your children, to minister in a Sunday school class, and to have some quality family devotions. Do you know that the supernatural is real? In our world, we live in the natural world where people are born, people die. You have trees, I have fingers and a head, and if you cut yourself, you bleed, and we have gravity and we have light. This is the natural world, but the Bible is clear that there is a supernatural world as well. And that this world isn't just made up of the natural. It's supernatural, which is beyond nature, right? Supernatural. It's beyond what we can see and touch and taste and smell. And it isn't our domain. The Bible says, hey, stay in your domain. I've got plans. I've got things for you to do here. Don't mess with the supernatural. Except through reading your Bible, The Holy Spirit inside you, challenging you, encouraging you, convicting you, helping you, and through prayer, talking to me. But this supernatural world, you don't mess with. But ever so often, God likes to give his people a glimpse of what the supernatural, beyond the natural world, he likes to give a little glimpse of what it is like. And here, in 1 Kings 22, we just get a glimpse of what it's like. And it is cool. But sadly for Ahab, it's not cool. In the natural world, Ahab is going along and he had found out, remember last time from Elijah, that he was going to die. And that because he humbled himself, God said, all right, I will give the specific prophecy of you dying in Naboth's vineyard and the dogs licking your blood. Well, that specific prophecy is going to be fulfilled in your son's reign, but you are going to die, Ahab, and you're going to die earlier than normal because you're wicked. And he was wicked. He chose other gods. He didn't follow Yahweh. And then he murdered all these prophets of Yahweh. And him and his wife Jezebel instituted the worship of Baal, which quite often had child sacrifice involved, and the worship of his female goddess Asherah. And it was bad. 
King Ahab was bad. Remember, he's the king of the northern tribe of Israel. Remember, Israel split. And we have southern Israel, which is loyal to David, which is basically the tribe of Judah. And then you have northern Israel, and they had bad king after bad king, culminating in the worst of the bunch, which is Ahab. And God says, enough is enough. You're going to die. And you're going to die because of your sin, because of the evil that you just did to Naboth, murdering a man for his vineyard? You are a messed up man, Ahab. You are bad. God says you're going to die for that. Well, in this week's story, we find out exactly how God brings all this to pass. And it's an interesting mix of the natural and the supernatural. Well, Ahab, this three years later, gets an alliance with the king of southern Israel called Jehoshaphat. So Ahab goes to Jehoshaphat and says, hey, let's go take back the town Ramoth-Gilead. That was part of our original land given to us by God. It was a Levitical town where priests live, and, and this was a place that belonged to Israel originally, but... Ben-Hadad II, the Syrian king, he had taken it. It was now his. And three years later, I don't know exactly what happened. Maybe Ahab had more power. Maybe he felt good after building his ivory palaces. And he said, you know, I've got strength. Let's go, Jehoshaphat. Let's go, and we could take it back for Israel. Woohoo! I don't think he really cared about Israel. He just wanted whatever Ramoth Gilead had. Nice vineyards, probably, since he threw a fit for Naboth. But he said, let's go take it back. And Jehoshaphat, the godly king, and Ahab, the evil king, made an alliance. Now, if Jehoshaphat was smart, he wouldn't have done it. But he was smart in the sense that he said, hey, let's inquire of the Lord. I don't want to do this unless we can inquire of the Lord. So Ahab said, sure, let's do that. And so they sat on their thrones, it says in 1 Kings 22, that they probably dragged their thrones up from southern Israel and put it on this threshing floor. And Ahab brought his throne out of the palace to this threshing floor, which was this big flat area where they would go and take their grain and shake it out and they would separate or thresh out the wheat from the chaff on this flat area. And there wasn't a lot of places where you could get all these people to show up, but the city gates where all the activity took place. Remember, again and again in the Old Testament, people went to the city gates to talk to the highest people of any city or village because that's where the business stuff was happening. Well, Ahab decided to meet at a threshing floor, a big flat area, with Jehoshaphat, and he was going to sit on his throne, and King Ahab was going to sit on his throne at this threshing floor right outside the city gate so that it was going to attract people, so people knew what was happening. Well, this crowd gathers. And Ahab, he just loved to promote himself, right? Ahab brought 400 prophets. And they began to inquire of God. It's clear they weren't inquiring of Yahweh, though. The word there, Lord, it's this generic word. It's, it doesn't represent the name of God, giving a hint at these prophets, these 400 prophets who were prophesying before Ahab and Jehoshaphat. 
they weren't talking to Yahweh, the one true God. They might have been talking to little g-gods or even demons. They weren't talking to the one true God. Again, here we have the natural world, and they're crying out to the supernatural world and trying to get a response. Well, these 400 prophets come and tell Ahab, you go do this, it's going to be awesome, you're going to win. And one of the prophets, he even creates these bullhorns out of iron and he comes up to to king ahab and jehoshaphat and says hey as these horns could gore another bull so you will gore your enemy yeah it's gonna be great Woo-hoo. and they prophesied and they danced but jehoshaphat he looks at this and he goes hmm i don't think they're talking to the right god they're clearly calling on a god but not the one true god yahweh So he asks, hey, Ahab, is there a prophet of the Lord still in Israel? In other words, the Lord. He didn't just use this generic word for Lord. He used, hey, is there still a prophet of Yahweh in Israel, in northern Israel, that we can consult? And Ahab probably looked down, depressed. Jehoshaphat caught him out. And then he thought of Micah. Micah. Hate Micah. What an idiot. Everybody hates Micah. Yeah, there's one prophet who still speaks for Yahweh. And that's what Ahab said to Jehoshaphat. Yeah, there's one prophet who still speaks for Yahweh. But I hate him because he only ever prophesies doom and gloom and negative things to me. He hates me. I I hate it. He never prophesies good for me. It's always negative. It's always bad. No, I hate him. I hate him. Well, Jehoshaphat says, let's hear from him. Micah. All right. So he sends a messenger and he calls Micah. And the messenger says when he reaches Micah, the prophet of Yahweh, he says to him, hey, If you could prophesy good to Ahab, things might go well with you. You might get money and power, and you might get the best house going. You just say good things. To which Micah responds, I'm going to tell him what the Lord tells me. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to speak the truth. So he brings him to the threshing floor, and Ahab then says, All right, Micah, I need to know. What's going to happen? Should we go up into battle against Ben-Hadad? And these 400 prophets behind him, yeah, yeah, go into battle. You'll win. It'll be great. And and have some fun with him, Micah. He says, yes, go. Go do it. You will win. Everything will be great. You'll be victorious. You'll wipe out the Syrians. Everything will be fantastic. Go do it, Ahab. To which Ahab responds, Tell me the truth, Micah. Haven't I told you before? I want to know the truth. Stop lying to me. Stop making up stuff. Stop playing around with me. You you tell me the truth. What does God really say? And then, Micah leans in. And he tells him the truth. But it's a scary truth. He says, listen. 
I see the people of Israel scattered on the hills like a sheep without a shepherd. Basically, Mike is saying, hey, your troops, they're wandering around like sheep without a shepherd. In other words, there is no shepherd. The king is gone. And then he says, listen, let me tell you what I saw. And, and I saw a vision of the throne room of heaven. Now, again, I told you, right, there's the natural. But now we're getting a glimpse of what the supernatural world is like. And it's fascinating. He says, I saw the supernatural realm opened up. And there was the Most High God, Yahweh, sitting on his throne. And the host of heaven to his left, and another host of heaven to his right. Psalm 82 talks about God sitting amongst his divine counsel. And that's essentially what Micah saw was Yahweh, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the God of all gods, there on his throne and all the other little g-gods around him, the hosts of heaven, some on his right, some on his left. And then Yahweh makes a decree, Ahab must die. Ahab needs to die, and he's going to die in this battle at Ramoth-Gilead. How can I achieve that? I've made a decree. Ahab is going to die in battle. But how will I accomplish this? And so it says that the hosts of heaven debate amongst themselves. And some say this, and some give this suggestion, and some gives that suggestion. But then it says one of the spirits comes and kneels before Yahweh. And the spirit says, I will do something. I have an idea. I know what we can do to accomplish your decree, O King Yahweh, O God of gods. I know what we can do. So God listens, and Yahweh listens, and, and, and this little G-God, this host of heaven, he says, listen, this angelic being, this, again, supernatural realm being says, this is what will happen. I will go out, and I'll be a lying spirit in all the hearts and minds of the prophets, and, and those 400 prophets, I'll go amongst them, and I'll put in them this wisdom and this vision, but it'll be a total lie. I'll be a lying spirit. And so Ahab will listen to those spirits and then he'll go into battle. And there we can accomplish your decree, O Yahweh, of killing Ahab. Now that's just fascinating to me. God makes a decree and then the hosts of heaven debate how to accomplish the decree. I think that's interesting. There's, there's sovereignty. I will accomplish this. God said that it's going to happen. But then there's free will and how we're, how are we going to accomplish it? What, what, what way are we going to do it? And they debate and discuss. That, to me, is just fascinating. Well, Ahab, when he hears this, that he's going to die in battle as they're trying to take Ramoth Gilead, I'm sure he looks down on his feet and goes, man, I knew I was going to die, but wow. And Zedekiah, 
one of those 400 lying prophets, he comes over and slaps Micah across the face. That was an insult to beat all insults in the Middle East. Back then, if you slap someone, that was just terrible. And he's trying to humiliate Micah. And he's trying to make him feel like a fool. And he says, listen, are you saying I'm lying? Are you saying I don't speak for God? To which Micah responds, when my prophecy comes true, you're going to be hiding inside a room, inside another room. You're going to be hiding in the inner chamber, shaking from fear because you know I speak for the Lord. I speak for Yahweh. I speak for truth. Well, Ahab, he snaps back and he's not going to be sad anymore. And he says, all right, take Micah and let's take him to jail. And so these guards come and they grab him and they haul him off to jail. Well, guess what? Jehoshaphat and Ahab go into battle anyway, which, which I don't get. If Jehoshaphat, who is the godly king, heard from Yahweh that Ahab is going to lose, I wonder why he went into battle. I guess Micah didn't say that Jehoshaphat was going to die. I don't know exactly, but they chose to go into battle anyway. Well, Ahab, he's probably still thinking, I can beat this decree by God. And so it says he dresses himself up and disguises himself as just another soldier. You know, he removes his crown and his fancy colored robes, and he just dresses in the bland military, and he puts on an armor, you know, and he puts on a helmet that'll protect his head, and then he puts on upper body armor, and, and then he puts on a lower body armor, and, and and it all covers himself so he can be totally protected, or so he thinks. And then he hops into his chariot and goes out to battle. Well, King Ahab somehow says to Jehoshaphat, Hey, why don't you dress up as king? And so they'll know you are king of Israel. And, and why don't you wear your royal robes? And when you go out there, everybody will come running at you. The Syrian army will come after you. Well, I'll be hidden and I'll be able to ambush him. I think maybe that's how he sold it. I don't know why Jehoshaphat thought it was a good thing. I'm going to dress up as a king and you're going to dress up as a soldier. Yeah, this is a good idea. But he takes Ahab's advice and he goes into battle in his royal robes. Well, Ben-Hadad, he had told his troops, kill Ahab. He didn't really care about Jehoshaphat. He didn't really care about that southern tribe of Israel yet, you know? He wanted to get Ahab, and he wanted to knock that guy right off his throne. So he told his troops, don't go after anybody but Ahab. And so they go into battle, and they start to fight, and the men of Ben-Hadad see, there's the royal robes, that's the king, and they all start to charge him, and they all circle up, and they charge on Jehoshaphat. And you know what? When Jehoshaphat sees all the Syrian army bearing down on him, you know what his response is? Ah! It says he screams out, ah! 
Now, now it says in Second Chronicles 18 that when he was being charged by the Israelites that Jehoshaphat cries out, ah, and it says the Lord God helped him. It doesn't mention that in 1 Kings 22. Instead, it says, ah, that he cries out, and it sounds like the Syrian army there, they go, oh, that's not Ahab. Maybe Ahab had a, a lower cry, and Jehoshaphat, ah, had a higher cry, or maybe it was the other way around. Either way, Second Chronicles, I think, got it right, where it says the Lord helped him. They, ah, they realize this isn't Ahab, and they stop, and they turn around, and they're looking for Ahab, and they don't know where to go. And so one of the soldiers, and this is where the Lord helped Jehoshaphat and fulfilled his decree, one of the soldiers pulls back his bow and just shoots it. Now again, he sort of did wrong there, that soldier. He was supposed to only try to kill King Ahab, not just every random soldier, or maybe not even Jehoshaphat. But it says he drew back his bow and he shot it, and it was just a random shot. Just an accidental shot. Well, this arrow goes up, whoop, and it comes down, whoop, and guess who it hits? Ahab. And guess where it hits Ahab? It just bounces off his armor, right? And falls to the floor. No. It says it hits Ahab in a chink in his armor between the upper part and the lower part. There was a little space between the layers of leather and other things that would protect him. There was a little space. And this arrow just happened to find that space and went right through it. Into his chest. And Ahab, he says to his charioteer, quick, 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 get, get, get out of here. And it says he starts to bleed. And the charioteer has to literally prop him up so that the people think he's still fighting, you know? And and again, they're getting out of here and and his blood starts to just, just, just flow and he says, please get out of here, I'm badly wounded. And the battle rages on throughout the day. And there is Ahab propped up in his chariot facing the Syrians. They probably have a big old stick in his back as he's bleeding down his leg and maybe he's holding his sword in one hand and it said his blood just filled the bottom of the chariot. And then finally, the battle comes to an end. Just as the battle comes to the end, the last blood of Ahab drains out. And Ahab died. So when they find that the king died, well, the army just splits up. And like Micah had prophesied, they're running around like sheep without a shepherd. Well, they bring the body and the chariot of Ahab to Samaria. And, and, and they begin to wash out the chariot, it says, at the pool of Samaria. And they're washing it out and all that blood at the bottom. And it says that it falls into this pool and they're dogs start licking his blood. Now remember, that's part of the prophecy that Elijah made, that someday 
You're going to die in Naboth's vineyard and dogs are going to be licking your blood. Well, he wasn't in Naboth's vineyard. Remember, that's going to be fulfilled later on in the reign of his son. But partially now, these dogs licking his blood. And the writers also of 1 Kings, by using the word dogs, by using these animals, these are despised creatures. They hated them. I love dogs, by the way, but that whole ancient Near Eastern world, they did not. And that was a great humiliation. And Ahab was dead. Now, do you think it was just a sheer accident that that arrow just randomly shot by some random army man happened to hit the only point in the chink in his armor to kill him? Do you think that was just random? No. And how do we know that? Through the prophecy of Micah, right? Through what he said when he tore back the the natural world and we could see just a glimpse of the supernatural world. It's exciting, isn't it? God is on his throne. He is in control. And if he decrees it, it's going to happen. But it seems like there's some free will in how it's going to be carried out. There's parts of it, I think, that are predetermined this is going to happen, but how we get there, man, I think that's interesting. They're debating it in some grand throne room in heaven. And someday we'll get to see the supernatural world. And someday we'll get to see the almighty God, Yahweh, in all his glory. And we'll see Jesus. Man, won't that be great? And I hope and I pray that you know the Lord is your Savior, that you've asked Jesus to save you. And I hope you are not like Ahab, who chose to follow another god named Baal, who chose to reject, to put his faith in Yahweh and to live for him only. He rejected all of that. Because when he died, he's going to another supernatural realm, the realm of the dead, hell. And separation from God for eternity. I just want to end with this. There is a supernatural world. And 1 Kings 22 gives us a beautiful glimpse of what it is. And we can be encouraged that God is sovereign. And he's on his throne. Let's follow Yahweh. Thank you for listening to Baldhead Bible Podcast. If you have any questions or comments, we would love to hear from you. You can comment on our Facebook page or email us at baldheadbible at gmail.com. If you would like to support this podcast, please check out our Patreon page at www.patreon.com slash baldheadbible. Baldhead Bible Podcast, making the Bible come to life. New episodes added every week. Thank you.